I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Today is Wednesday, April 15th, 2020. On this day in 1920, two anarchists, Nicola Sacco and Bartolomeo Vanzetti, robbed and killed the paymaster and security guard of a Massachusetts shoe company. It was an unlikely case to make international news, but the Sacco-Vanzetti trial would become one of the most famous in American history, as well as a landmark case in forensic crime detection. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest host, Greg Polson. Thank you, Vanessa. It's always so wonderful to host with you. And hello, Today in True Crime listeners. I'm positively thrilled to join today. Listeners might recognize Greg from a few podcast shows we host together, including Serial Killers, Cults, and our newest show, Secret Societies. Every week, we examine history's most exclusive organizations and try to shine a light on the truth behind these mysterious groups. So far, we've looked at mysterious groups like the Skull and Bones, the Rosicrucians, and the Hellfire Club, and their rumored attempts at world domination. Today, Greg's here to discuss some of the historical aspects of the story, while I'll cover the narrative. Let's go back to South Braintree, Massachusetts, on April 15, 1920. Fred Parmenter, a Slater Morrill paymaster, and Alessandro Berardelli, his guard, left the shoe company's offices just before 3 p.m. It was a quiet Thursday afternoon on Pearl Street. After all, everyone was waiting on their pay. The streets might get a bit livelier once the men had some money in their pockets. And there was plenty of cash to go around in the two hefty payroll boxes Parmenter and Berardelli carried. $15,776.51, to be precise. That's worth over $200,000 today. Parmenter knew his cargo was precious, hence Berardelli's presence. But this was a familiar route, and it wasn't far to the Slater Morrill shoe factory. Neither man thought much of the stroll as they made their way through town. Unfortunately, they wouldn't have long to think anything at all. Two men approached them, pistols in hand. They didn't say anything, didn't make a demand, didn't even give Berardelli time to pull out his own weapon. The pair simply pulled their triggers. Fred Parmenter and Alessandro Berardelli went down. This was Pearl Street, quiet but not deserted. Bystanders stood appalled as the assailants grabbed the payroll boxes out of the felled men's hands. They watched, frozen, as a car pulled up to the curb. 
and they barely had time to note the plates before the killers threw their boxes into the car and sped off into the afternoon. The quiet town of Braintree was appalled. They whispered about who the men might have been. They looked Italian, but no one knew for sure. And it wasn't until two days later, when investigators found the getaway car abandoned in the nearby woods, that the police thought they might have a lead on the killers. They connected the car to a man named Mike Boda, suspected of a similar crime in another Massachusetts town. But Boda knew the police were coming for him, and before they could get their hands on him, he fled to Italy. Two of his associates, however, were apprehended by police, Nicola Sacco and Bartolomeo Vanzetti. Neither had records at the time of their arrest. Sacco worked at a shoe factory. Vanzetti was a fish peddler, but both were carrying loaded guns at the time of their arrest. And that made all the difference. The particular weapon of interest was Sacco's, a 32 caliber handgun, the kind used at the Braintree crime. Plus, it was loaded with bullets from the same manufacturer as those studding Parmenter and Berardelli's bodies. This did not look good for Sacco and Vanzetti. They were charged with murder. But these two men were anarchists. They believed social justice would only come with the destruction of governments. And they weren't about to take the US government's flimsy accusations lying down. They'd put up the fight of the century and make sure the public knew they were fighting for more than their freedom. This was a battle for the rights of radicals around the world. Coming up, the Sacco Vanzetti trial becomes national news and a landmark ballistics case. Now back to the story. On April 15, 1920, two unknown assailants robbed and killed the paymaster and security guard of a Massachusetts shoe company. Through a chain of circumstantial evidence, the police were able to apprehend two suspects, Nicola Sacco and Bartolomeo Vanzetti. But it was the weapon they found on Sacco that convinced them they had their man. He was carrying the same gun and bullets used in the murder. My guest host Greg is here to discuss the context around the crime and the ensuing Sacco Vanzetti trial. Thanks, Vanessa. The Braintree shooting occurred in the midst of a struggle between the radical left and right across the world. We like to remember the 1920s as a decade of roaring parties, and it was. But it was also part of the interwar period that would see the rise of both communism and fascism, setting the stage for World War II. The early 20s saw anti-immigrant and anti-communism sentiment running high across America. Sacco and Benzetti were Italian anarchists. They were acutely aware of these tensions. And when they were arrested for the Braintree shooting, they knew that their best hope of squashing the case was to rally the anger stemming from these broader issues and use it to their advantage. They were, they insisted to the press, being persecuted for being both Italian and anarchists. After all, the case against them rested heavily on the gun and bullet Sacco was carrying at the time of his arrest. That was far from conclusive evidence that he'd shot Fred Parmiter and Alessandro Berardelli, much less that Vanzetti had been involved. 
And what had made the police pick their suspects up in the first place? A flimsy link with another wanted man. Investigators had never been able to turn up any evidence of the stolen money either. None of this was fair, Sacco and Vincetti insisted. And the world listened. Their case made international headlines. Millions of dollars were donated to Sacco and Vincetti's defense by leftists in the US and abroad. And that's tens of millions in today's dollars. Protests sprung up in their support. In response to the case, the American embassy in Paris was even bombed, and a second bomb intended for the embassy in Lisbon was intercepted. The small town Massachusetts case was suddenly one of the most watched in history. When the trial commenced, there was plenty to look at. The well-funded defense brought out almost 100 witnesses to testify on behalf of Sacco and Pensetti. They lampooned eyewitnesses for their crude statements that the killers were Italian-looking. And finally, they trotted out ballistics experts who insisted Sacco's weapon hadn't shot the fatal bullets. They weren't, however, the only ones. The prosecution brought in its own ballistics experts who claimed just the opposite. Their tests concluded that Sacco's gun did kill Parmenter and Berardelli. Part of the problem here was that both sides were working with primitive forensic instruments. The science was still new and didn't have precision on its side, yet. The judge and jury were left to decide which of the reports was more convincing. They went with the prosecution. The pair were found guilty on July 14, 1921, and sentenced to death. Sacco Vanzetti supporters were appalled. And as Sacco and Vanzetti waited on death row, they refused to quiet their support. Particularly in the light of conflicting ballistics reports, they were convinced that the outcome of the trial was the result of politically motivated prejudice. Ballistics aside, the evidence was simply flimsy. Controversially, the men remained on death row for years. In 1925, another convicted criminal claimed he'd committed the murder with his gang, and support surged even more. The pressure was so intense that in 1927, the Massachusetts governor ordered an inquiry to advise him on the anarchist clemency requests. But unfortunately for Sacco and Vanzetti, forensic science had made some progress since 1920. The new comparison microscope was used to retest Sacco's gun and proved beyond a doubt that it was indeed the murder weapon. The governor was satisfied. On August 23, 1927, Sacco and Vanzetti were executed by electrocution. Ballistics, in the end, settled the case, setting the stage for many modern criminal trials. But this result doesn't mean the 1920 trial was fair. The ballistics weren't certain then, and Sacco and Vanzetti were condemned to death anyway. Plus, there was never any concrete evidence tying Vanzetti to the case. Massachusetts officially recognized that in 1977, 50 years after the anarchists' executions, Governor Michael Dukakis stated that the pair were treated unjustly. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again to Greg Polson for joining me here today and every week on Secret Societies. Thanks for having me. You can find our show Secret Societies on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
For information on the impact of the Sacco Vanzetti trial, check out the episode of Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories on the Wall Street bombing. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 